Jaya Radha Vala Radha Vala Jagana Jaya Jagana Jaya Baladeva Jaya Suhadra Jaya Goranitai 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 Jaya Goranitai Jaya Jaya Prabhupada 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 Jaya Prabhupada Jaya Jaya Prabhupada 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 Srila Prabhupada Gaur Premanandi, Hayari Bol, Jai Om Vishnu Pad, Paramahamsa, Paravrajik, Acharya, Asatara, Satasri, Srimad. It's Khan BBT founder, Acharya Zavayan Grace, AC Bhaktivedanta Swami, Maharaj Prabhupada, Kijai. Nitya Lila Prabhupada, Om Vishnu Pad. It's Zavayan Grace, Srila Bhakti, Siddhanta, Saraswati Thakur, Prabhupada, Kijai. Ananta Koti, Vaishavarinda, Kijai. Nama Acharya, Srila Haridas, Thakur, Kijai. Premsika Hosh Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu, Dittananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhara, Srivasadi Gaur Bhaktivedanta, Kijai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gopa Gopana Shamakunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhan Kijai Shri Prajaruma Namadam Kijai Shri Nabadit Mayapurdam Kijai Shri Lachal Jagannath Puridam Kijai Ganga Mai Kijai Jamuna Mai Kijai Bhakti Devi Kijai Shmati Tulsi Maharani Kijai It was beautiful worship Shri Shri Radha Palo Kijai Shri Shri Jagannath Baladev Subhadra Kijai Shri Shri Gornitai Kijai Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda Kijai Going back to home back to Godhead Kijai Iskan Melbourne Yatra Kijai, Brihad Badanga Transcendental Book Distribution Kijai, International Food for Life Transcendental Prasadam Distribution Kijai, Shri Hari Nam Sankirtan Kijai, Nitai Go Premanandi, Hari Hari Bol. All glories to the Assembly of Devotees. All glories to the Assembly of Devotees. All glories to the Assembly of Devotees. All glories, all glories to Shri Shri Guru and Goranga. Glory to the Prabhupada. Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaiva Narotamam Deving Sarasatam Yasam Tatojayam Hadirayat Before reciting the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is our very means of conquest, let us offer respectful obeisances unto the personality of God and Lord Narayan. Unto Narayan Rishi, the supermost human being, unto Mother Saraswati, the goddess of learning, unto Srila Vyasadeva, the author, and unto Srila Prabhupada, who is the translator, commentator, and our spiritual master. Nashta Prayeshu Padreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naistiki By regularly attending the Srimad Bhagavatam class and by rendering service unto the pure devotee, 
All that is troublesome to the heart is almost completely destroyed. And loving devotional service unto the personality of God, whose worship with transcendental songs become established as an irrevocable fact. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So we're continuing our reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, 7th Canto, Chapter 11, which is entitled The Perfect Society for Social Classes. And today's text is 32. Vritya Sabhava Kritaya Vartamanaha Sakarma Krit Hitwa Sabhava Jam Karma Shanair Nigunatam Iyat Vritya Sabhava Kritaya Vartamanak Sakarmakrit Hitwa Sabhavajam Karma Shanar Nirgunatam Iyat Vritya Sabhavakritaya Vartamanak Sakarmakrit Hitwa Sabhavajam Karma Shanayir Gunatam Iyat Vritya Sabhava Kritaya Vartamanak Sakarma Krit Hitwa Sabhava Jankarma Shanayir Gunatam Iyat Please chant Sabhava Kritaya Vartamanak Sakarma Krit Hitwa Sabhava Jankara 
Anyone else? Okay, synonyms. Vritya with the profession. So Bhavakritaya performed according to one's modes of material nature. Vartamanaha existing. So Karmakrit executing his own work. Hitwa giving up. Sabhavajam born from one's own modes of nature. Karma activities. Shanai gradually. Nirgunatam transcendental position. Iyat may attain. Srila Prabhupada's translation for this verse. If one acts in his profession according to his position in the modes of nature and gradually gives up these activities, he attains the Nishkama stage. Please repeat. If one, if one acts in his profession according to his position in the modes of nature and gradually gives up these activities, he attains the Nishkama stage. Srila Prabhupada's purport, if one gradually gives up his hereditary customs and duties and tries to serve the Supreme Personality of Godhead in his natural position, he is gradually able to become free from these activities and he attains the stage of Nishkama, freedom from material desires. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prishtaya Bhutale, Srimati Bhaktivedanta Swamini Tenamine. Namaste Saraswate Deve Gauravani Pacharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatideshtarine Om Ajnana Timurandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshur Unmilitam Jaina Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Sri Chaitanya Manovishang Shapitam Jaina Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Dadati Swapadantikam Vandaya Hang Sri Guru Sri Utapada Kamalam Sri Gurun Vaishavangsha Sri Rupam Sagajatam Sahagana Raganatan Bhutam Tang Sajivam Sadvaitam, Sabadutam, Persian Asahitam, Krishna Chaitanya Devam, Sri Radha Krishna Padan, Sahagana Lalita, Sri Vishakan Bhutangshan, He Krishna Karana Sindhu, Dina Bando Jagatpate, Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namosate, Tapta Kanchana Gorangi, Radhe Vrindabhaneshwari, Vishavanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Pray, Vancha Kopaturubhya Shakripa Sindhuva Evacha Patitanang Pavade Bhyo Vaishnava Bhyo Namo Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhudi Tanana Shriyadvaita Gadadhara Shrivasari Gorbhaktarinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So, who remembers who's speaking? In, in this section? Yes, and who's his prime audience, prime hearer? Yudhishthir Maharaj, yes. So, 
But is the message meant just for Yudhisthira Maharaj? No, meant for all of us. Yudhisthira Maharaj is a pure devotee of the Lord. So he already knew this. Not only that, he was a ruler. Properly trained Chatriya. So the Chatriyas know because this, part of, this is part of their duty is to make sure that everybody's acting according to Varna and Ashram. No pretenders. If you say you're a brahmachari, then you have to act like a brahmachari. But do our brahmacharis actually know what it means to be a brahmachari? I always test the brahmacharis on this. Because it's a very, very, every position in Varna and Ashram is responsible. But the, bar, the brahmachari ashram is the basis of the spiritual orders. So if the brahmacharis are not in order, they're not going to make good grihastas. I've said this many times because it was factual, that in the early days of ISKCON, you know, Prabhupada is trying to turn, as we say in English, uh, sow's ear into a silk purse. You take already contaminated young men off the streets of New York, like myself, 21, most of us were in that age group, 21, 22, like that, already completely spoiled, and now you put on saffron in your brahmacharya. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Brahmacharya, guru kuali, vasanata, kororhitam. They're supposed to start early in life. Komara archayat pragyo, dharmam bhagavatamiha. Start early in life, five years inculcated with the Bhagavad Dharma. So, but still, we're, there an attempt is being made. So those who are wearing the saffron, they must know this particular verse, because it's a definition of brahmacharya. So I always test the brahmacharya on this. Who knows this verse? It's from the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. There's a double verse, 13 and 14. And in that purport, Prabhupada quotes Yogya Valka, one verse from Yogya Valka that defines what is a brahmacharya. Our brahmacharis must notice verse. Karmana, manasa, vacha, sarva vastasya sarvada, sarvatir, maitanatyago, brahmacharya prachakshase. This is the definition of a brahmachari. Karmana, by your activities, what you do, every one of us is doing something, not just on a daily basis, on a moment to moment basis, we're doing something. The mind is working, which impels us to then get up and do something. Thinking leads to feeling, leads to willing, leads to action. So karmana, all of that has to be in order for the brahmacharya. They have to think properly. This is the, as I said yesterday, I think maybe in the class or just in a private conversation, the prime duty of the guru is to teach his disciples how to think properly. Because <laughs> if you think properly, you will develop proper feelings about everything and you will will yourself to act properly. So karmana, Manasa, in the mind, every thought. Vacha, all your words. Sarva vastastu sarvada sarvatra. In under all circumstances, in all places, at all times. Maitanatyaga, no connection to sex life. Anyone who's on that platform, by their words, by their thinking, by their, their actions, no connection to sex life, that is a brahmachari. So to be on that platform is not easy. In any age, what to speak of in this age, Kali Yuga. Even in previous ages, people were, you know, had problems because this material world means problems. We're here to try to imitate the Supreme Personality of God. God, well, we know his name, Krishna, but if you even speak generically, just like you have, what do you call your top administrative leader here, prime minister or president, what do you call him? The top person in the administrative post here, is he called a president or a prime minister or she? Prime Minister. So everybody should know, if you want to get in the political field, what is the position of the 
prime minister. What are the duties, responsibilities, and like that. So God is that person, if we want to speak generically, who is by nature in the center or should be in the center of all activities, all attraction, all act, everything. So that's Christian's position. We know his name is Christian because it means all attractive person. First of all, he's a person. Many speak like, people, again, they speak generically about God, but they don't have the realization that God is a person. It's like if you're speaking theoretically about the administration of the country, the political situation. You know, that prime minister has to be a person. You don't put a robot there. You don't just put a chair with a picture. It has to be a person that you can discuss with and get information from and direction from. So God is like that. God is a supreme person who gives supreme direction, supreme information, everything supreme. And we know, again, his prime name is Krishna, which means the all-attractive person. Why is Krishna attractive? Everything is there in the scriptures. Everything is defined. The great sage Prasharamuni has given six prime attractive features that we also possess in minute quantity. We know who Parasharamuni is. He's the father of Vyasadeva, who's Srimad Bhagavatam reading right now. The same Narmuni who's speaking to Yudhishthir, he saw, or actually Vyasadeva was feeling morose at one stage, and the spiritual master Narmuni came and asked him, what is the problem? He asked the spiritual master to please tell him what is the problem, because the spiritual master should know the heart of the disciple. So, because he had already written the, or divided the original Veda into four, he had given the Mahabharata, the Upanishads, everything was there, it seemed complete, but still he was not feeling satisfaction. So Narad Muni explained to him that you have not sufficiently glorified the Supreme Personality of God. Not sufficient. So in that stage, he meditated on the Lord and saw primarily two things, the Lord and his shadow assistant, the material energy. Material energy, property explains, is always on the backside of the Lord. So Vyasadev saw that, and then in his maturity, he gave us this Srimad Bhagavatam. And one verse that ex explains the purpose of the Bhagavatam, I quoted yesterday, Anarto Pasamam Sakshan, Bhakti Yoga Madhokshay, Lokasya Janata Bibam Chakra, Satpata Sangitam, that this, our miseries, what we consider to be things that we don't like, we want to get rid of, the miseries that are inflicted upon us threefold, Adhyatmik, Adhibotik, Adhidaivik, these are all external. It's not really happening to us. In the comparison, it's like dreaming. Sometimes, anybody ever had a bad dream? Most of us have experienced bad dreams. And in that bad dream, you really feel that you're in danger or something bad is happening. But then the alarm goes off or somebody wakes you up, get up, and it's gone. You don't dwell on it. Even if you remember it, you don't dwell on it. It's gone. It was not real. It was something happening on a different platform, subtle platform. So you forget about it. And you go on with your normal life. So the situation of the living entity in the material world is like that. Where 
reacting to superfluous things that are not really important. We give importance to things that are changing constantly. The material energy is endlessly mutable, which means it, even this table that seems to be the same, every day you come in here, you come back after 100 years, it won't be here. Some termites will get in there, something will happen, it will deteriorate and it will fall apart. So the whole material uh, life is like that. Things are constantly changing, they're endlessly mutable. It's like chasing shadows, you can never grab it. And therefore we never feel satisfaction. We don't feel satisfied. So the great sage Vyasadeva in his maturity gave us a Srimad Bhagavatam to convince us of these points. We're not just money, that's already you're supposed to have learned it from the Bhagavad Gita, but specifically to present the glories of the activities of the Supreme Personality of God. Because when we start concentrating on that instead of on the ephemeral, always changing material situation, then we start to feel satisfaction because we become properly connected. And that connection, that's called yoga. Yoga means to connect. So when the individual living entity who is suffering in this material world voluntarily connects their karma, their activities, their mind, their words to Krishna, through the medium of bhakti yoga, bhakti yoga adhokshaje, means bhakti, Srila Prabhupada brilliantly uh, translated as devotional service, not just devotion. Because some people think bhakti devotion, but devotional service. There has to be activity, and that activity has to be guided by one who's already pure in bhakti yoga, not whimsically. That I get up today, I feel like doing this, and then tomorrow I don't want to do that, I want to do something else. And next day I'm a preacher, and the next day I'm a teacher, and I'm a this and a that. And no, the bhakti yoga process has to be guided by someone who's already perfect in bhakti. So that's Srila Prabhupada's position. He was already perfect and a perfect bhakti yogi. He could have stayed in Vrindavan and just enjoyed his relationship with Krishna. But on the order of his spiritual master externally, but those who are pure devotees, they always have this desire to see everybody come to that platform. This is an advanced devotee. Sometimes the, some, you know, not so mature devotees, they think themselves to be mature, they think themselves to be advanced. Oh, I'm so advanced, I can't associate with these lower devotees. That's nonsense. <laughs> the symptom of an advanced devotee is that he always or she always wants to elevate everybody around them. They want to see everybody grow in Krishna consciousness and bhakti yoga. Not that I'm so advanced so I distance myself from everybody else. That's questionable stage. And if there are no devotees to elevate, they make devotees. <laughs> when Prabhupada came to the West, to first landing in New York, there were no devotees. Bhagavad Gita was already translated in English more than 200 times. I personally had contact with one of those Bhagavad Gitas. But nobody wanted to become a devotee of Krishna. You read Bhagavad Gita just like some entertaining philosophical book and you put it down and that's it. But when Prabhupada came and chanted Hare Krishna and gave us Bhagavad Gita as it is, then so many people were immediately attracted. That's the potency of a pure devotee. So somebody who's pretending to be a pure devotee but they don't want to deal with people and they go away and hide and... At best, that's called the Bhajananandi stage. But our line from Prabhupada, Bhakti Siddhanta, etc., that's not our primary feature. Primary feature should be 
Go out and preach. From the very beginning, Prophet sent his devotees on the streets to the spirit books to chant. And the effect is there. Like I said, I was made a devotee by buying one pamphlet from Dave Amrita. He wasn't even initiated yet. He was still a bhakta. But go on the street doing book distribution. So I got that pamphlet, Christian Reservoir of Pleasure, and that's what attracted me to Christian consciousness. So this is the um, example given by the pure devotee. No matter what stage you're at, try to get others involved. Don't wait till you're so-called perfect and then, then you can go out and preach. No. Under the order of the spiritual master, wherever you go, whoever you meet, tell them about Krishna. This is coming from Lord Chaitanya. Krishna Upadesh. Whomever you meet, wherever you go. And sometimes you can't be very proactive about it. Like many of you are professionals, you have a job. But let's say you're a doctor, lawyer, whatever you are, you have an office. You can just passively leave some books of Krishna in the waiting room. You're a dentist, whatever, leave some Krishna books, some Bhagavad Gita, Bhakti Gaudet magazine. Just leave it in the waiting room and people naturally pick them up. Recently I went to a conference in San Antonio. It's called the AAR, American Academy of Religion. We, as the BBT, we, we are represented there every year. They move from city to city. So I stayed at one motel called Gasper, Gasper Motel, owned by a very nice Gujarati couple. They've owned that motel for 47 years. First came from India, he was a surveyor. But uh, you know how Indians are. They have always formed some Sangha based on where you're from in India. So the Gujaratis had some Sangha in uh, San Antonio. They joined that Sangha, and from that Sangha, they borrowed enough money to buy this motel, and then gradually paid back over time. And they're still running that motel, very nice couple. They told me that uh, Tamal Krishnamaraj came there with his bus when he was still traveling with his bus, uh, Radha Damodar party. And they said the, the thing that they noted was that they gave him a room to stay in, and he used the room, but he didn't sleep there, he slept in the bus. <laughs> So, so in the, the reason why I thought of them is because in each of the rooms of the motel, they have not just a Bhagavad Gita, hard copy Bhagavad Gita in every single room. So that any guest stays there, out of curiosity, will pick up the book and read it. And that's not the only case. Uh, I, I'm responsible for buying the printing for the BBT North America. So I'm buying printing of Bhagavad Gita mostly in China. And uh, the company that prints our Bhagavad Gita currently is called Regent Publishing. Interesting story. A couple of interesting stories related to them. The owner, his name is George Tan. He informed me, after they'd been working with us for several years, he came to America to visit us. And his office is in Hong Kong. So he informed me, he said, you know, when I was a young man, I was working, he's Chinese, but he was working for Dainipon in Japan. And Dainipon, as you know, is that company that first printed Prophet's hardcover books, Christian book like that. So he said, after learning the trade, he went back to China and opened his own printing company. And lo and behold, now he's printing Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> so you see how Christian works. We don't know what is going on. Just have to do our service. 
So another story in relation to that, to that company is the salesperson that I work with, her name is Tiffany Chatham-Smith. She told me that one of her cousins has nothing to do with her printing or with ISKCON or anything. Call her up excitedly that she was staying in a motel in the San Francisco area and saw uh, a soft cup cover copy of Bhagavad Gita in the motel room, and she knew that her cousin, Tiffany, was in the printing company that prints that book. <laughs> so she called her up to say, hey, I'm one of your Bhagavad Gita's is in this motel. So one can preach passively. If you're a motel owner, just leave Bhagavad Gita in every room. That's preaching. Because uh, that girl, that cousin of Tiffany, she asked the motel owner, can I take the book with me? And he says, sure, we will replace it. So she was so interested reading this book that is printed by her cousin's company, she took it home with her, and she will become a devotee eventually. Any contact one has with Krishna, because Krishna is the supreme pure, the supreme purifier, that person becomes purified gradually. So, Krishna the all-attractive person. Now, into this verse today, we're uh, very short purport, and uh, I checked with what the predecessors are chires before, before Srila Prabhupada. I like to correct the body sometimes because many say, the acharyas say. Prabhupada said, but the acharyas said. But Prabhupada is one of the acharyas. So those preceding Prabhupada, we have their commentary. And on today's verse, they just pointed out that this, it's a gradual process. Of, of just following Varnashram perfectly. If one is actually stated that if one follows Varnashram perfectly for 100 births, then you become Lord Brahma. But you're still in the material world. So this is not our desire. Our desire is not to become Lord Brahma. As a matter of fact, it's stated that when we voluntarily turn away from the Lord in the spiritual world and we are placed in the material world, our first birth is as a Lord Brahma. So we don't want to become Lord Brahma again. We want to go back to home, back to God. We don't want to necessarily become Lord Brahma again. However, if one follows that path of strictly following the rules and regulations of Varna and Ashram for 100 births, then one can again become Lord Brahma. However, the followers of Lord Chaitanya, as mentioned by Prabodha and Saraswati, we're, we're not after becoming Brahma. As a matter of fact, the pure devotees see the position, not that we're insulting Lord Brahma, but see the position of Brahma as being insignificant. Uh, Prabodhananda Saraswati says, these things should be prominent in the consciousness of a person who has taken shelter of Lord Chaitanya. Kaivalyam narakayate chidashapur arkashapushpayate turdam tendriyakalasapapate prokatadangsrayate so he says, for one who has received the merciful sidelong glance of Lord Chaitanya, these things should be prominent. This impersonal liberation into the effulgence of the Lord would rather go to hell. The pure devotee would rather go to hell than accept that that uh, that um, type of liberation. And the pure devotees are not aspiring to go to the heavenly planets. Um, those who are on the path of, I mean, real karmis, not just people who are working, but 
those who are on the path of following the rules and regulation of karma activities, their aspiration is to get elevated to the heavenly planets. But the pure devotees see that as akasha pushpa, which means it has two meanings. It means something phantasmagoria, not interested. Or literally, sky flowers, akasha pushpa, like if you take a handful of petals or actual flowers and you throw them up in the air, how long do they stay? Not very long, they come down again. So it's the same thing with going to the heavenly planets. One cannot stay there indefinitely. One may have long duration of life, higher, much higher standard of enjoyment than here in this, on this level, earthly level. But it doesn't last, as Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. You come back down again. You cannot stay there. So, Dordam Tendriya Kala Sarpapatani. And the senses, as we know, are very strong. Uh, human life means all of our senses are strong. The eyes can take you away. The ears can take you away, some sound, the skin, the touch, everything. All senses are very prominent. In the animal kingdom, generally, only one sense is very strong. But in, when you come to the human platform, all senses are strong and they can drag you down into sinful activities. So, those who are on the path of mystic yoga, they become naturally afraid of the power of the senses and therefore they go away. They don't stay in ordinary society. They go Himalayas, they go to some cave, sit down, chant Om, and they don't want to be attracted to material activities, so they have to hide away. But the pure devotees, because they have not just controlled their senses, but they control their senses by using them in the service of the Supreme Personality of God. That is real sense control. Not just that artificially I sit down and, and... No, that is not real sense control. And there are so many examples of that. Like the Sobari Muni. Great mystic yogi. So powerful, he could sit in a lake in the Yamuna and meditate. Who can do that? Uh, to hold your breath. Sometimes they have these deep diving, natural free diving, they call it free diving competitions, who can go the deepest in the ocean with, on one breath and then come back up. I think the record is like five minutes or something like that. Very, very, you know, impressive to dive deep down and hold your breath for five minutes, come back up. But the human body is so fragile, quite often people die in those competitions because they, they don't quite make it back and <laughs> their lungs fill up with water and sometimes they die. So, just to control the senses is not, by some artificial means, is not what the pure devotees are after. Their senses are naturally controlled because they're completely engaged in Krishna's service. The eyes only want to see Krishna. The ears only want to hear about Krishna, like our Amarish Maharaj. So this Shobari Muni, he was so powerful, he was underwater, meditating. But because he offended the devotee of the Lord, who did he offend? Come on, you've all read Krishna book. Who did he offend? Garuda. Garuda has the right to eat any fish, any snake he wants, even though he is the carrier of the Supreme Lord. <laughs> a little bit difficult to understand. Here he is, must be a pure soul. You cannot be a carrier of the Lord if you're impure. But still, he has the right to eat any snake, any fish he wants. So he would regularly come to the Yamuna, that lake, and grab some big fish and eat it. And Sobari Muni didn't like that. He considered it a disturbance. So you curse Garuda. 
Now, the pure devotees don't have to accept any curse, but out of respect, Garuda stayed away. But because he offended a pure devotee of the Lord, he fell down. So, so powerful, meditating on the water for years. He started to develop sensual desires in his heart, and he had to come out. And you know the story. He approached one king and asked for one of his daughters, but because he had been underwater for so long, his, he was old, his skin was wrinkled, he looked horrible. So the king, very tactfully, he didn't refuse. He said, if any of my daughters want to marry you, I have no objection. So of course, nobody would want to marry such a... But the Muni was so intelligent, he understood that the king is tactfully getting, getting around my request. So he transformed himself into a handsome young man, and all 50 girls wanted him. They were fighting. He's for mine, he's mine. And they all married him. But after some time, he came to his senses that I was meditating, I was making spiritual progress, and now I'm the plaything of these 50 princesses. So he left and went back to his meditation. But the point is, the pure devotees are not afraid. Durdam tendriya kalas. The snake, the senses are so powerful, they're like vicious snakes. At any moment, your sense can bite you and literally kill you. But those who have taken shelter of Lord Chaitanya, they've gotten the merciful sidelong glance of Lord Chaitanya. They are not afraid. They can preach in the cities. They can interact with people and not be afraid of being dragged down. Of course, one has to be careful in the initial stages, but when one is on the pure platform like Srila Prabhupada, Srila Prabhupada traveled all over the world, dealt with all kinds of people. He was not afraid because he's not afraid of being bitten by his senses. Senses are completely controlled. The senses for the pure devotee are compared to the senses of a tortoise. The tortoise can bring his limbs into his body and keep them there until he wants to act. So the pure devotees are like this. So, Durdam Tenje Kalas of Prodkata Dangstrayate. So for the pure devotees, the senses are just like, uh, for non-devotees, the senses are like snakes, but for the pure devotees, it's just like a snake without any fangs. If you know, if a cobra comes in the room now and you know he has no fangs, nobody will be afraid because he can't inject any poison into you without the fangs. So the, for the pure devotees, the senses are like Then Vishram Purna Sukhayati. We are preaching, now we are preaching the Bhagavatam, all the Vedic literatures inform us that this material world is a hellish place. Krishna says, Dukalayam Ashashvatam. It's full of mis duk, misery, and it's temporary. Even if you say, I don't care if it's miserable, sometimes, I'll stay anyway. Ashashvatam. It's temporary. You cannot stay. You have to keep moving on. One body to the next body, next body. So our scriptures are saying, we're telling people you're not this body and it's, this world is a miserable place, but so how can Vishvam Purna Sakayate, how can the pure devotees see the Vishva, the whole universe, as being full of happiness? Because they're happy in their service to Krishna. It's not, again, like the non-devotees who are gritting their teeth and hiding away so they don't, don't get contaminated. No, the pure devotees can go anywhere and preach. Vishwam Purna Sukhayate, Vidi Mahendra Kitayate. So this is what we were referring to. Vidi means Lord Brahma. Mahendra is Lord Shiva. Vidi Mahendra Kitayate. Their positions, not the personalities, but their positions are compared to being in the position of an insect. Nobody wants to is meditating, please make me an insect in my next life. <laughs> no. Nobody wants that. In, insect life is considered insignificant. So for the pure devotees, the position of Brahma or Shiva is considered insignificant. They're not striving for that. As we said earlier, 
debaters inform us that if you properly prosecute your responsibilities in Varna and Ashram for 100 lifetimes, you can become Brahma. But we don't want to become Brahma. The pure devotees don't want to become Brahma. So all of that we get when we accept the merciful sidelong glance of Lord Chaitanya. Not even direct glance, just a sidelong glance. If Lord Chaitanya favors you in that way, then you become, you exhibit these tendencies that we discussed. So again, the Acharyas preceding Srila Prabhupada did not say very much on this particular verse. As you see here, Srila Prabhupada himself didn't say much on this particular verse. So I'm going to read the next two verses. It's a, actually, it's the next verse, but it's a double verse and a short purport. And then on the next day, we'll finish the chapter, text 35. So text 34 is... Hupyamanam hukshetram swayam nirviryatamiyat nakalpate punang sutjai uptang bijam tan nashyati evam kamashayam shittam kamanam atishevaya virajetayata rajan agnivat kama bindubhi. Srila Prabhupada's translation My dear king, if an agricultural field is cultivated again and again, the power of its production decreases. And whatever seeds are sown there are lost. Just as drops of ghee on a fire never extinguish a fire, but a flood of ghee will similarly... We, I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Just as drops of ghee on a fire never extinguish a fire, but a flood of ghee will similarly overindulgence in lusty desires mitigates such desires entirely. So, Srila Prabhupada's purport, short. If one continuously sprinkles a drop of ghee on a fire, the fire will not be extinguished. But if one suddenly puts a lump of ghee on a fire, the fire may possibly be extinguished entirely. Similarly, those who are too sinful and have thus been born in the lower classes are allowed to enjoy sinful activities fully. For thus, there is a chance that these activities will become detestable to them and they will get the opportunity to be purified. So this has to be understood thoroughly. It seems here a license is being given to just let yourself go. Just indulge, do whatever you want. And the hope here is that these sinful activities over time will become detestable. However, even if superficially that seems to be the case, a person just goes for it, intoxication, illicit sex, whatever, and then it seems over time he or she, they lose their taste for it. But the sinful desire seed is still there. One does not eradicate the desire for sinful activities by indulging in sinful activities. One may get some realization that it's not really happening. It's, I'm not really becoming happy by doing these things. But the desire will not go away. It's still there in seed form. And that was proven by one kind of humorous anecdote that Prophet would speak from time to time about the king. He, had a, he was a Mohammedan king, but he had a Hindu minister. But he was very intelligent, this king, so he, <clears throat> he called his minister one day. Birbal. And he asked Birbal, he says, when does the desire for sense gratification go away? Because even the Mohammedans, they understand that 
our enemy is this lust, lust and desire, one of our main enemies. So he asked this minister, Birbal, when do these, when does the desire for lusty activity go away? And Birbal said, it doesn't go away. He said, no, this can't be true. As you get older, experience, it must go away. So Birbal didn't argue with the king. He's just, okay, Maharaj, whatever. <laughs> so then one day, Birbal came into the palace and he asked the king, please come with me. And the king could understand something was important must be there, otherwise Birbal wouldn't ask me to come. So he just said, but don't come alone. Bring your young daughter with you. So he was puzzled, but okay, again, Birbal, he trusts him. Okay, he brought his daughter. So Birbal brought the king and the young daughter to the home of a very old man who was dying. But before they went in, he said, my dear Maharaj, when you go in, just keep your eyes on the eyes of the old man and see what he's looking at. So the three of them went into the room. This man is on his last breath, practically. The king comes in, Raja, and the pretty young daughter comes in. Who does the old man look at? <laughs> the, the young daughter. So the king could understand, yes, this desire doesn't go away, even up to the point of death. <laughs> so by indulging in forbidden activities, sinful activities, one cannot give up the desire. The activity or the active stage may go down because one is getting older, one is getting a little more intelligent, maybe, the, but the seed is still there. Only the process of bhakti, Rupa Goswami informs us, can completely fry, destroy the desire for sense gratification in this material world. Only the bhakti process. And it happens gradually, not immediately. This chanting process, as Grupa Goswami himself also says, said, Krishnanama charitadi sutoptapitya pitopataptha rasanasya narojikanu. That in the beginning, although the holy names of Krishna are transcendentally sweet, like sugar candy, in the beginning, to the tongue of one who is afflicted with the jaundice of abhidya, ignorance, it tastes bitter tastes bitter. So probably uh, being somebody who understood pharmaceuticals and uh, medical science, he told us, he said, yes, when you have jaundice, sugar candy that is normally sweet tastes bitter. However, the cure is to take sugar candy. So similarly, if we continue, Rupa Goswami says, to chant even through that stage where the name is bitter, that's why we have to take a vow. Because if we just did it when we felt like it, <laughs> I've told this story also. Uh, one of our God brothers who was there in the early days, 26th Second Avenue days, he said that, um, uh, I mean, it's a known fact, so I can mention the name, that Gargamuni, Brahmananda's brother, in the beginning, they noticed that he wasn't chanting his rounds. So the devotees, they got together and they discussed, should we say something? And they decided yes. So they approached Gargamuni and they said, Prabhu, we... Notice you're not chanting your rounds. And his response was, well, Prophet said I should only chant when I'm in Maya. <laughs> so that's not our process, not that we only chant when we think we're in Maya, because we're always in Maya. <laughs> that's why we have to promise to chant 16 rounds minimum every day, because if we did it only when we felt like doing it, so many days would go by with no chanting. So although in the beginning it's difficult, to keep that vow, Hare Krishna, you want to put the beads down, or you just want to rush to it, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, and then, ah, I'm done. <laughs> and now I can do anything I damn well please, as Prophet said once. He, the Bodhis took it seriously, they thought Prophet, but he was actually mocking us. 
That's not the mood you should have, that now I've done my wrongs, I can put down the beads and do anything I damn well please. No. One should always be, if you have a taste, you should always want to chant, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. So Rupa Goswami says, if you continue to chant, then gradually, gradually, the bitterness will go down and the sweetness will increase and the ignorance will be destroyed at the root. Mula Hantri. The ignorance will be cut up at the root. It will be complete. Because by nature, we are pure. We are pure parts and parcels of Krishna. By nature, we are pure. And therefore, Krishna consciousness is not a matter of injecting something into us. It's a matter of uncovering the purity that is there. If we stick to the process, then gradually, gradually, the pure consciousness comes back. We remember who we really are, eternal servants of Krishna, and we act accordingly. It's not just a philosophical construct. We act accordingly. We willingly come to the temple every day, engage in seva, engage in chanting. We go out and try to get others to enjoy, to come to this enjoyable path. If we're not enjoying, then we can't genuinely try to attract anybody. So we, first of all, have to work on ourselves. We have to be conscious. Prabhupada said you can't be Krishna conscious if you're not conscious. <laughs> so part of being conscious is honestly knowing where you are. In, on the path from Shraddha to Prema we say, but I also say it's even simpler than, than that. It's from Kama to Prema. <laughs> Our natural consciousness when we're contaminated, when we're in material consciousness, is Kama. Desire, not, not just desire for sex, but desires that actually Kaviraj Goswami defines in the fourth chapter of the Adilila. Kamendriya priti bancha tara bhali kam priti icha prema dharinam. This is the definition. Kama, lust, is defined as any desire to satisfy my senses, gross or subtle. Any desire to satisfy my own senses, that is called kama, lust. And Krishnendra Priti Icha, the desire to satisfy Krishna's senses, Prema Dharinam. Dari, as we know, Giri Dari, it means to hold, so it holds the name of Prema. But how do we know how to satisfy Krishna's senses? Again, we don't do it whimsically. We have to be guided by Krishna's pure devotee. So Bhakti Yoga begins by by taking shelter of a spiritual master who can guide us step by step through the process and tell us what to do and what not to do. Again, it's not up to us, especially sometimes when we're living outside the temple community. We think we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. But that's not the mood of a disciple. The disciple always wants to be guided by the spiritual master. Guru Maharaj, in every step of life, the, the, the surrendered Krihasta couple even asked permission to have a child. Those who are outside of Bhakti Yoga's community, they would think that's shopping. You have to ask your guru Maharaj if you can have a child. But that was the, the system. The Krihasta couples would approach their spiritual master and ask permission to have a child. And if the guru would say, no, wait some time longer, then they would do that. That's surrendered. Shishya, that surrendered disciple. Not feeling that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and that's wrong mentality. 
So again, the main point to understand from this second verse here uh, is that yes, if one overindulges in sense gratification, then naturally the desire goes down, but it doesn't disappear completely. The sinful seed is still there in the heart, and it will spring up at some point, uh, sometimes embarrassingly so. Just like with Shobari Muni, being a great Muni, meditating on the water, but he had to come out and get married. So that's an embarrassment for a great sage. And there's so many other examples. The Vishwamitra Muni, we know he was a great Kshatriya, but because he couldn't defeat Vashishta, he won his Vashishta's Kamadenu cow, and he came with his armies, and uh, they were trying to drag the cow away, and the cow said to Vashishta, please save me. And Vashishta said, I'm. I'm a Brahmin, a sage, I but if you want to protect yourself, but since she was a Kamadhanya, she did. So from her rear end, she generated just hundreds, thousands of these fierce warriors, and they defeated Vishwamitra's army, and he was so embarrassed, he said, if I can be defeated by a Brahmana with one cow, what's the use of being a Chatriya? I want to be a Brahmin. <laughs> so so he, he meditated and performed severe austerities and became highly potent, but because, again, he had not taken to the bhakti process, the desire seed was there. So while he was meditating with eyes closed, Indra was getting worried that this sage now, he's getting so powerful, he'll take my position. So he sent Menaka to distract him. And even though he had his eyes closed meditating, just by hearing the tinkling of her ankle bells, pile, he opened his eyes, he saw this beautiful, fell down. Beautiful woman, he fell down. And from their union, Shakuntala was born, who later on um, married Bharat Maharaj. Not the Bharat Maharaj who fell down as a deer, but before him there was another Bharat Maharaj. Anyway, main point again is that you cannot, even though it seems to be stated in today's purport, in that second verse 34, you cannot get away from the effects of sinful desires by indulging in sinful activities. It, just doesn't, it may go down for some time, but it will flare up again. So we'll stop here if there are any questions or comments. Any of the Vaishnavis first? We always, right? One second, one second. Any of the ladies, yeah. Hare Krishna Prabhu, thank you for the wonderful class. Prabhu, you mentioned that if someone performs Varnashram Dharma for 100 years, he becomes Lord Brahma. So Prabhu, uh, and, and then we have to come back, we're still in the material world. So Prabhu, then why does Srila Prabhupada stress on Varnashram Dharma so much in the Bhagavad Gita and even in the Srimad Bhagavatam? And what is the importance of Varnashram Dharma in devotional service? Good question. So, the question is that, we, as stated that the predecessor Charis mentioned, that if one perfectly performs, not just the info, but if one perfectly performs one's duties in Varna and Ashram for 100 births, then you can become Brahma. So she was asking about that and what is the, uh, why did Prabhupada stress Varna Ashram and what is the importance of Varna Ashram in, in our line, our process. So first thing again, one can become Lord Brahma. For it's, you're still in the material world, obviously. You're the head, of, head engineer of the universe. And from that position, one can go back to Godhead. The universe exists for as long as Lord Brahma's lifetime. So when 
the universe is wound up again into the body of Mahavishnu, then Lord Brahma, if he's qualified, then he goes back along with residents of Brahmaloka who are qualified, they go back to the spiritual world. But if they're not qualified, they actually stay in the material world. So they also get anybody who's not qualified, which is 99.9% of the living entities in the material world at the time of dissolution, they're not qualified to go back to Godhead. So the whole thing gets wound up into the body of Mahavishnu. And I've said many times when I was a young devotee, I always wondered, Mahavishnu is God, expansion of God, so he's completely pure. So if the whole thing is wound up into the body of Mahavishnu, and we know the Supreme pure purifies anything that comes in contact with him, how is it that we're not purified when we get withdrawn into the body of Mahavishnu at the end of a cycle of uh, Pralaya? So the answer I got much later on was that the Lord doesn't interfere with your independence, your mind, your independence. So if at the time of dissolution you still have material desires, even though you're wound up into the body of Mahavishnu, he does not interfere with that. So that the next creation, you come out again with exactly the desires that you were in. And we remain dormant for billions of years. Not just a few years. When Mahavishnu inhales and all the universes come back into his body, they lie dormant for billions of years. So we see how long it can take to get rid of sinful desires. <laughs> they remain dormant for billions of years. And then you come out and again take up whatever you were when the universe was dissolved. So if you were focused on being a whatever, then you're given a chance to become that again when you come out. So our tires in our line, they don't stress the Varna Ashram, especially in this age, Kali Yuga. It's not stressed. It is recommended that, because Krishna gives it, it's the proper way of running society. So if we can again institute Brahmana, Chatriya, Vaishya, as I was saying yesterday, Prabhupada said, first of all, the Brahmana, because the social body needs a head. Without a head, it's just stumbling everywhere. So he wanted to create Brahmanas by training. And as I quoted that verse, anyone can be brought to that standard, even low-born, Kirata, Hunandra, Pulinda, Pulkasha, no matter what, where you're from, you can be elevated by Dvijatvam Jayate, one can be become, can become Dvija by coming in contact with a pure devotee of the Lord who can properly train us. Idea in our line is Daivi Varnasham, not just your duties as a Brahmachari, you know, Grihasa, Vanaprasa, or as a Brahmana, Chatriya, Vaishya, Shuja, but with Krishna in the center. Consciously, Krishna in the center. So in our society, Krishna is the center, and we can be trained in any of those varnas and ashrams, but always keeping Krishna in the center. But even if we're not, even if we're not designated Brahmana, Chachya, Vaishya, if we keep Krishna in the center, <laughs> then we will get the result. So you see the difference. For proper functioning of society, it's recommended that those divisions should be there. As a matter of fact, Prabhupada says, human life begins when those divisions are there. Without that, it's just animal life. But even an animal can, be, can go back to God if they keep Krishna in the center, like Hanuman, not exactly human, but his whole focus is Sitaram, and therefore liberated, pure, pure soul. So yes, we should try, and proper recommended, we should open Varnasham colleges where we take the initiative to train the society at large how to be a proper Brahmana, how to be a proper Chachriya, proper Vaishya, proper Shuja. 
But it's not stated that if you don't get that training, you can't go back to Godhead. So you can go back to Godhead from any situation if you follow properly the instructions of a pure devotee of the Lord. And what are proper instructions? Chant 16 rounds, follow the four regular principles, as far as possible, engage in practical service for spreading Lord Chaitanya's movement. So you can do that from any position. What's your age? 12. 12 year old. You can do that. You come to the temple every day, you bow down in front of Radhavalam. You chant Hare Krishna, you take Krishna Prasadam, and you do some seva, right? So from any position, one can go back to God. Yes, Prabhu. Okay. Um, maybe you want me to repeat the question? Yes. Okay. Uh, you mentioned about the petals and flowers throwing up in the sky, it comes back. Like that people also go up to heaven and then come back. Does it mean that uh, they are taking rebirth and then coming back to the world existence as the same form? Okay, good question. So, it's not I say, this is promoted on the Saraswati's definition of tendencies of somebody who has taken shelter of Lord Chaitanya or gotten Lord Chaitanya's merciful side long glance. So Akasha Pushpa means again, like I said, it means the heavenly planets, the bodies are not attracted because they know your stay on the level of the heavenly planets is only as long as your karmic bank account allows you. So somebody who performs pious activities, good karma, they build up enough stock, they are allowed to go to the heavenly planets where you can live for millions and millions of years. But eventually, your karmic bank account runs out. And at that point, as Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Jinnya Punya March, you come back down to this earthly sphere because there's no karma accrued in the heavenly planets. You don't accrue karma. Just like on the animal level, you don't accrue karma. An animal kills a human, you can't take them to court and charge them with murder or something. So, Animals don't have karma. On the love of demigods, heavenly existence, they don't get karma either. At least not gross like we do. There may be apparently some reaction, like Indra offended his Brahaspati, his spiritual mass, and there was some reaction. But it's not karma like we do. Everything we do here produces some reaction, good or bad, and that is stocked up. And when you leave this body, you're brought in front of Yamaraj, and you're given the appropriate punishment or reward. So that doesn't happen on the heavenly planets. Nobody goes before Yamaraj. But when their karmic bank account runs out, and this is described vividly in the Mahabharata, they just disappear one day. It's like we're all sitting here together, we come together every day, and then one day you say, where's so-and-so? <laughs> Back down to the earthly level. They just disappear from the heavenly level because their bank account has run out, boom, they come back. And then they, it's stated they come down in the rain, in the the soul, because the spirit soul, every one of us is an individual spirit soul, that individual spirit soul that's now fallen from a heavenly realm, they come down in the rain, the rain is absorbed by the grain, the grain is eat, eaten by man, and therefore that soul gets placed into a particular uh, semen of the a particular father, and that's injected into the womb of the mother, and then you come out again with a gross material body. So that's how the process works. All right, I was told today we don't go to nine, we stop at just about this time, so if anybody has any questions, you're free to come and visit. I'm here for just until fourth morning, then I fly to Sydney. So I'll give class again tomorrow, I'm informed.
and then uh, next day I leave. Yes, Prabhu. We're going to go to 9 o'clock? No, that's what I was told, that today we stop early. <laughs> we stop at 8.45. Why are we stopping early? I have no idea. That's what I was informed. Who told you that? Tweeza Vita Mardas. Why can't we go to 9 o'clock? <laughs> but anyway, like I said, at any time, if somebody would like, has any questions. I've got a question. Sure. A uh, couple of questions, actually, but um, uh, it, it, it's interesting that on the one hand, we have a recommendation to follow the Varnashram system for 100 births and be elevated to be Lord Brahma, right? But then on the other hand, the verse that you were quoting was for the, for the devotees, being Lord Brahma is no better than being an insect. <laughs> So, um, in the Bhajana Rahasya, and, and in other places, but certainly in the Bhajana Rahasya, um, Bhaktivinoda Thakur warns the devotees who are performing their bhajan, chanting Hare Krishna effectively, to avoid the desire for pratishta, or fame, right? And so, you know, this, this uh, um, minimalizing of, Lord Brum, of, of a big position, it seems to be important for a, for a, for a devotee, rather than let's follow the Varnashram for a hundred years and become Lord Brahma, a devotee saying insignificant, not important, or a distraction even. So, um, uh, why is Bhaktivinoda Thakur, why, we, why is it, it recommended that we avoid desires for fame and um, um, it's considered to be a, a serious danger, a cause, Bhaktivinoda Thakur says it's, it's the root of all other material desire. So I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Well, <clears throat> we remain in this material world because we still have a hope of becoming, maybe not directly, but we want to be so important that we are in the center of, of at least some persons that we know. We want to be the center. Again, my, you came a little late, but we were discussing that God means that individual who by nature should be in the center of all activities, all attraction. That's Krishna. That's Krishna's natural position. And we, want, we wondered what it would be like to be Krishna. So you can't be Krishna in the spiritual world, or Lord Vishnu. So you come to the material world. So that's the driving force. And if we again allow ourselves to succumb to this desire to be important, to be appealing to some audience, if not everyone, at least some significant audience. So that will distract us. Once we've started this process and we understand what brought us here in the first place, if we succumb to that desire for love, pratishta, for, you know, name, fame, maybe not gross sense gratification, because from the very beginning we understand that gross sense gratification is foolish. So, 
But even if, as one advances in spiritual life, one can still have this desire for subtle sense gratification, name, fame, uh, like that. So that's why Bhaktivinoda talked this morning. It's a stumbling block for those who are not on the highest platform. But for one who's on the highest platform, we, we see him, Bhaktivinoda Thakur himself. He was a highly placed magistrate. He was practically revered by his, although some of them were envious, but he was revered by his, even the non-devotee co-workers, what to speak of those in the devotional field. Uh, but it didn't distract him. He was completely fixed in his work. Did it, Prophet said, what would take some other magistrate days to do, he would do in five minutes. So he was so fixed in his, his job, if you would, but he was also fixed on the bhakti side going home and taking his evening meal, resting for a little bit and getting up and writing all night and enchanting his rounds and very fixed. His, his sadhana was impeccable. So if one, can, if one is on that platform, then one will not be distracted by fame or name or money or these things cannot distract the pure devotee. Prophet himself, we know Prophet was so humble. In the beginning when he established uh, his first centers, I think this happened in San Francisco when they first had that first center in San Francisco. Prabhupada would stand on line with the devotees to go to the bathroom. They only had one bathroom. <laughs> Here he is, the Acharya of the whole universe. And he was so humble, he would stand in line with his devotees. But at the same time, if you see pictures of Prabhupada, many pictures of Prabhupada is like this. So somebody who doesn't know Prabhupada would think, that man must be so puffed up. Like this. And there was one incident in Mayapur where Brahmananda told Prabhupada that, you know, we uh, gave your birth uh, information to one astrologer and he said that you're the most important person on this planet. And Prabhupada said, yes. <laughs> he didn't say, oh, no, no, no. So this is why it's so difficult to recognize who is a pure devotee. Externally, they may seem puffed up or whatever, but internally they're most humble. Most humble. So it's not so easy. Uh, like Bhaktivinoda Thakur would tell his followers that, Practically apologize. I have to guide you. I have to chastise you sometime. That is my position as guru. But he's not doing it, you know, ah, just see. Yeah, not, that's not the mood. The, the guru has to teach. And you can't teach if you externally are acting like lower than the straw in the street. <laughs> Nobody goes to a straw in the street to learn anything. So for teaching, the guru has to sit on the Vyasasa and he has to accept worship like that. But it's not out of feeling of superiority. The guru understands that we are all potentially the same. Every, li every living entity, every atma, every jiva is on the same level of potential. But when we're in the material world, covered over, and some pure devotee, Raya Vishnu, like Bhaktisiddhanta or Srila Prabhupada, they come to this material world. Externally, they seem like just, they're just like us. They go, go to school, they get married. So we may not give them the, even Prophet's God brothers, even after he started ISKCON, they didn't recognize. They thought he was very scholarly, a nice devotee, supportive of the Mat. Well, they didn't realize that he was a pure devotee of the Lord. Until much later, after Prophet left, one of them in particular, again, not naming any names, but he said, till now, we are just eating the remnants of Bhaktivedanta Swami's lunch. <laughs> They find, and they literally meant that because a lot of Prabhupada's disciples who became a little bit disaffected with this kind, they would run to these Gaudiamat gurus and that gave them some prominence because before that they had no prominence. They had maybe one little temple and ringing the bells and getting a few pies in the box every day. But after Prabhupada left and some of his disciples started going to these Gaudiamat uh, gurus, then they became a little prominent. You see?
So he was literally saying that out of humility. We are eating the remnants of Bhaktivedanta Swami's lunch. So even such, and they were not ordinary people. They were advanced devotees, and they couldn't recognize a pure devotee. So a pure devotee doesn't, it's not recognized by sprouting four arms or having a halo over his head. <laughs> you walk by a pure devotee, you may not know. In your own community, there may already be pure devotees, but we don't know. Pure devotee doesn't necessarily advertise himself or herself. So that means very, very careful to how we associate with each other. Because that person that you're associating may already be on the platform or close to it. And, uh, you know, one offense to such a person, Krishna doesn't take lightly. Because we shouldn't offend anyone, even the insect we should try not to hurt, like Murgari. After being a hunter of animals, he became such a highly elevated soul that he wouldn't even step on an ant. He had to make sure he would <laughs> like that. So if we can give such respect to ants, how much respect should we give to each other? And what to speak to the pure devotee of the Lord. Is that okay? Um, the, the irony of, or the, uh, the conundrum, I guess, for a devotee is that the, by the performance of bhakti, one will become prominent and respected um, by others. It automatically accrues to a devotee that they become popular and we see that with Srila Prabhupada um, and yet that's anathema for a devotee so how do we deal with that and, and also if a devotee does become popular then often will be criticized by his friends or his comrades and, and so uh, you've got that dilemma of of um, trying to be the servant of the servant and seeing these things as insignificant. But at the, on the other hand, one is given those things by dint of one's service. And yet you're given those things and then you criticize for it. <laughs> so how does one, and even Prabhupada said that, he was discouraged by his God brothers. Mm -hmm. uh, so how does one maintain the um, that mood of uh, humility, I guess, despite one's given. Yeah. Nice point. So one has to always be the gu guided by one's spiritual guide, not guru. So and once, after Prophet started making sannyas disciples, one of his sannyasis came to him and said, you know, Srila Prophet, when we go out and preach, especially in India, you know, we give some talk and people naturally come and want to touch our feet. But you said that if somebody touches your feet, you get their karmic reaction. So what to do? So Prabhupada said, if you can avoid, avoid. But if you can't, accept and just meditate on giving to your spiritual master. Passing it on to your spiritual master. Which is the, our, should be our mood in everything. Whatever we get, whatever comes to us, we should automatically offer to our spiritual master, especially when we're in the brahmachari ashram. Brahmachari means on the order of the guru, go out and collect, preach either by book distribution or whatever you do, but whatever collection comes to the brahmachari is not his. should immediately be given to the spiritual master and accept whatever the spiritual master gives in terms of amenities or whatever for preaching. That's brahmachari life. So sometimes when we go to the next level, greenhouse life, we lose track of that. We think, 
oh, I'm preaching and people are giving and whatever I do with it, it's up to me. No, it's not up to you. That mood should still be there. That collection should always be guided by the spiritual mass. And Prophet has given that guidance. He said, whatever is collected, not a farthing should be spent for sense gratification. Yes, one is allowed. He said, if one works 100% for the society, the spiritual society, then one can be maintained to a minimum standard by the society. That's bona fide. So those who are working in a society, if somebody criticizes, don't, don't worry about it. It's the order of the guru. And Srila Bhakti Siddhanta also set that, that example for which he was criticized, that prior to him, sannyasis, sadhus, they didn't wear a sewn cloth, they never drove mechanical conveyance like a car. But he said, no, the spreading of Chaitanya's movement, Lord Chaitanya's movement is so important that we will use everything. We will use the cars. We will wear sewn clothes to stay warm and when it's cold for preaching. We're not, we're not so foolish. And Prophet himself said in regards to money that some of these sadhus in India, they become famous, we don't touch money. You try to give them a donation, oh, we don't touch money. Prophet said, we're not, we're not so foolish. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Because we know what to do with money. Open temples, print books, have festivals, we know what to do with money. So we're not so sensitive to foolish criticism. Something that's warranted, yes, like Prophet said, before you take rest at night, you should always reflect everything you did during the day and especially whatever contact you had with other devotees to see, did I offend anybody, you know, so you can rectify it. So before you fall asleep at night, just do a mental rewind of the day's activities and who you interacted with. And nowadays you also have to figure out what you did on the internet because <laughs> we are also inter interacting in that way. We're sending out emails, we're sending like that. So we have to be, like I said, you can't be Krishna conscious if you're not conscious. So we have to be conscious enough to know what we've done at least during that daytime, who we interacted with and what activities we engaged in and try to correct any mistakes that you've made. Because Krishna will not forgive you for offending a devotee until that devotee until you apologize to that devotee and you try and that devotee uh, the devotee naturally doesn't take any offense so you, you we may be uh, encouraged to just go on because you offend somebody and they don't react and they, but krishna is witnessing everything and until you consciously go and beg forgiveness from that devotee then krishna is not going to forgive you so in the neophyte stage we make a lot of mistakes but as i said yesterday those who are in knowledge are punished even heavier so if you've been around for a while and you know the ten offenses and you know how to avoid Vaishnava, or you should know how to avoid uh, Vaishnava Parad, but you do it anyway, that means you're not concerned, then you get even more punishment. So we have to be very, very careful. Krishna consciousness is like walking on a razor's edge. Any little mistake, blood. It's like shaving. You have to be very careful shaving. So, but if we follow to the best of our ability, the recommendation of the guru, predecessor, acharyas, then naturally we will make rapid advancement to the point where we don't make any such gross mistakes of offending others. All right, thank you for your kind attention. Grantarashivan Bhagavatam Kijai, Srila Prabhupada Kijai, Gaur Bhaktivinoda Kijai.
But I'm here, like I said, till 2...